Hey, Harpy Hour fans. We're running a very special promotion for all of our loyal listeners. It's a merch giveaway, specifically our logo stickers, because, well, it's the only merch we have right now. But there's a catch. We're not just giving them away. You have to earn them. To get a sticker, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your preferred streaming platforms. So send us a screenshot or a picture proof that you've done both of those things. So again, that's subscribing to the show and leaving a review. You can send it to any of our social media accounts at Harpy Hour Pod, or you can email it to harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, also give us your address so we can mail you the sticker. You'll also get a shout out on social media and in an episode of the show for our thanks. And don't worry if you can only do one of those two things for whatever reason, I don't know why, do both. You'll still get a shout out, but no sticker. So make the effort. Do better. This promo is only going to last until we've given away our first 20 stickers or if this whole thing crashes and burns, whatever happens first. So hurry up, run, don't walk and get your sticker now. Also, don't forget to tell your friends because, you know, what's cooler than having matching stickers on your water bottle or a laptop? Nothing. Nothing. There's literally nothing cooler than that. Nope. So... Tell your friends, you can each get stickers, show off your friendship, and share your Harpy love. And remember, if you want to see even more Harpy Hour merch coming up, support us on Patreon. These funds will help us improve the show and grow our brand. Now, before you enjoy the episode, check out this promo for another awesome podcast to add to your list. And stick around for Harpy Hour! I'm Heather. And I'm Rochelle. And you're listening to Nature vs. Narcissism. A true crime podcast where we delve into the life and crimes of some of the most egregious criminals the world has ever seen. Each season, we'll choose a different theme and we'll focus on a serial killer as well as perpetrators who may have killed just one person. Some of these individuals may sound familiar, but our aim is to bring you cases that you've never heard of before. And this show does have some dark humor sprinkled in, so we're going to make lame jokes from time to time, but never at the expense of the victims. And by the end of each episode, we will discuss why we think the offender committed these vile acts. Was it nature? Was it nurture? Or was, was it, it plain, plain old narcissism? narcissism? Tune in weekly for new episodes and share your opinion on our social media pages. Subscribe to Nature vs. Narcissism on your favorite podcast player. Or visit our website at naturevsnarcissism.com. Stay inside, stay alive, and don't call the cops. Bye. Harpy Hour may contain explicit language, as well as graphic, violent, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour. The Harpy Hour. Harpy Hour. Harpy The Hour of Harpies. <laughs> and we are the Harpies. I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. And this is our podcast where we share ridiculous stories, stories in history, science, and entertainment. Take it from here, Steph. <laughs> That's the worst. Wait, what happens next? 
basically anything that sparks our interest and maybe yours. We got there. <laughs> Join effort. Takes a village. <laughs> a very small village. Well, this village has a special message today. Sure oh, do. Yeah. For our friend Kat. We'd like to shout out our friend Kat in Eureka, Montana. Thanks, Kat. Thanks for writing a review and subscribing and being fantastic. Your sticker's in the mail. Well, at this point, Woo-hoo. she's probably received it. I don't know, because it was a holiday weekend, so... I mean, this episode's not going to air for like a month after we shipped it. I would hope <laughs> uh, it can make I it mean, from Colorado not... to Montana. <laughs> I take no responsibility. By the time the she hears delayed. this, I hope she has her sticker. And I hope she's wearing it on her water bottle or something that all of her friends can see when she's out and about. Proudly. So thanks, Kat. Yay. So guys. Yeah. You know how I told you that Hawaii... Has a lot of roaches. Yes. I don't like the beginning of this. <laughs> I don't like the entirety of this. So, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> so the other day, I was going to my boyfriend's house, but he was he and his roommates were out, so like I was going to meet them there. And I got there first, so I let myself in, and I turned on the lights, and there was a small roach sitting on the cushion of his recliner. Nope. No, thank you. Yeah. Rejected. It was like a small one. Not, not one of the like, Amazonian ones. Okay. Literally, size does size not, not matter. Not matter. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was like just sitting there lounging on the chair as if it like fucking owned the place. Just chilling. Kicking back after a long day of roaching. I would actually so, <laughs> argue that smaller roach is more terrifying because it means that they can get into even more places. Like my but I mean, ear. have you seen the big ones? Oh my God, why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the big ones though? They're like, can fit like, it's like the size of a baby's forearm. They're fucking huge. The big ones. It's a very specific like <laughs> unit of measure. <laughs> <laughs> don't appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, oh my God, this is disgusting. So I ran to the kitchen, grabbed a paper towel, getting ready to try and like squash it. And these things are so fucking fast. So it like scurried into like a crevice of the chair. Nope. And nope. I like burned the chair. Briefly looked and I was like, I can't find yeah, it. Yeah, just burn the house down. So I texted him and I'm just like, oh my God, there's a roach in your recliner. We need to burn it down. Like, was he like, oh, Fred? Uh, no, no, <laughs> we're not. Him. That's Randy the Roach. Randy the Roach. That's my buddy. No, he's like, oh my god, did you catch it? I'm like, no, it scurried in before I could. He's like, he's like, I forget exactly what he said, but expressed some kind of disappointment. I'm like, how could you let it get away? Like, this is all via text message. I'm like, <laughs> fucking fast, man. So he gets home, and we together. He like pulls the cushion aside so we can look in the crevice where it went, and there's a little there's a roach in there. But to me, not the same roach. This I'm roach so, was a yeah. darker color. So he's like, oh, there it is. And I'm just like, uh, fun fact. And he was like, shut up. It's not the same roach. And I'm like, I don't think <laughs> so. You the found same an roach. additional roach. I mean, in hindsight, maybe it was, and it just looked darker. I don't know. But it, to me, it looks like a darker color roach. Same size. I was going to say, was it the size of a baby's forearm? It, no, not, not the big ones, not the B52s. Oh. B-52, oh God, that sounds like... <laughs> That's what he calls the giant ones. Isn't that the name of the organiza- the hit organization within the Scandal universe? It's a plane. A B-52 is like a war plane. 
I think B-52 is also, like, in the Scandal universe. I mean, I don't Hold know. Hold on. It's, it's a giant plane, like a bomber plane. Anyway. B-613. Sorry. All Go right, ahead. Wrong B. So I was like, close. shut up. That's a different roach. And I was like, I think it's a different roach. And he's like, and then he grabbed the paper towel and he tried to squash it and it crept, it like scurried deeper into the chair. He's like, you are, you're right. They are fucking fast. We flipped the chair over, upended it to like look underneath and the mechanisms of this recliner and couldn't find it. Surprise, surprise, a small roach in this giant mechanism of wood and springs and shit. And he's like, well, you're right. We have to burn the chair down. <laughs> like, <laughs> Should have done that from the beginning. Yeah. I don't know why you did His all this. His house would have like, been in flames by the time he even got yeah, home. Exactly. I would have yeah. been like, you're welcome. You're moving out right now. So his roommate grabs like this roach powder they have and they just kind of like sprinkle it along like the crevices under the cushion and stuff. And then like he sits in the chair while we're like watching TV later. Why would you sit in the chair? No. <laughs> and how long ago was that? Like I would never sit in that couch ever again. A week ago or something. I don't know. But I wouldn't sit in the chair for days. And he's like, how long are you going to not sit in the chair? Because I was sitting on the couch while he Until was you the find chair. the fucking roach. And he's like, you really <laughs> the think same that- one. He's like, you really think that if there's roaches in this chair, there's not roaches in the couch? And then I was just like sitting on the couch. And I was like, well, now <laughs> sitting is ruined. Sitting is ruined. <laughs> well, <laughs> now I only stand in his. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I've sat in the chair since, but with great unease. I hate it. Tracy. What? Let's get this show on the road. What you doing? What you got? Today, I am going to be. A hundred percent that witch. Yay. Is that from something? What? Lizzo? Oh. Parodied? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and flawlessly. Oh Sorry. my god. <laughs> I really like the brick whispering Tracy has gotten into lately. <laughs> oh my god. Pumpkin pie! Pumpkin pie. <laughs> Liz. Yep. Don't disappoint me. No. I'm gonna. <laughs> damn it. Liz is such a disappointment, always and forever. God damn it. Today I'm doing Mr. and Mrs. Achetora. Oh. oh. This is gonna be another thing where you try to speak Italian. Only a tiny bit. I learned my lesson. <laughs> okay, good. Because it really hurt me. I'm not recovered yet. <sighs> I carefully researched and pronounced Achetora like a million times. <laughs> I appreciate your preparation. And Tracy still thinks it's wrong. <laughs> it wasn't horrible this time. You don't even know what I was trying to say. Achitora? It could have been right. You're, you're right, Liz. <laughs> I will refrain from judgment, even though that's our entire fucking show. <laughs> Please do not come to work and do your job today. Okay, great. Speaking oh, of somebody who does not show up all the time to do her job. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I work real fucking hard. Mm -hmm. Steph, what are you harping on today? I am going to harp about trying bacon. Oh. Like mm -hmm. for the first time or? You'll have to find out. I should preface mine by saying that I'm going to have to say some things in French 
So I also <laughs> apologize. I can't judge that. Because we all know that my can. French is horrendous. Was it supposed to be bacon? <laughs> How do you say bacon in French? <laughs> I have no idea. should find that out. <laughs> I'm going to guess because I'm so good at guessing Steph's segments. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a court case about bacon. Ooh, oh, that's good. Oh, wait, I do, I know that there was like a story where somebody put a pig on trial because they were like spreading oh. disease or something. I forgot. And like some like medieval timesy thing, yes. they yes. tried the pigs. Yes, you're right. Or maybe they tried the rats. Something like that. I, they did both. I'm pretty sure. Okay. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, now that we've completely okay. spoiled her segment, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> my teaser was 100% that witch well now I hear it <laughs> that's, that's how I said it I feel it. like the first time you said it it didn't have as much like the rhythm sing songiness or attitude yeah the rhythm wasn't there I know you did not just tell me that I sang too little of my teaser <laughs> Um, we have the receipts. I will get back to you in a month when I edit this episode. All right. Well, you're getting full-throated singing for every teaser. <laughs> there have been so many now. times that we were recording things and one of us says, we have the receipts. And then I get to it and I'm like, ha, I have it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in light of this episode airing the first week of October... I decided to get a little witchy, a little spooky, and today we are going to talk about Wicca! I couldn't resist the beginning of Halloween. The beginning of Halloween. <laughs> the beginning <laughs> like of Halloween month. <laughs> it's a month. It's also, month Halloween began in like August, if you went to any retail store. That's true. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about Wicca. So. It's also known as modern paganism or, quote, the craft. Wiccans don't prefer the term. Craft is such a great movie. I used to love that movie. I've never seen it. What? And you're doing a Wicca segment? You're doing a the craft segment? How did you not see the craft? It's, I don't know. Because I'm a good (laughs) Catholic (laughs) child. (laughs) Are Are you, though? Super oh, not. Ow. Mother- <laughs> you okay? I, what is happening right now? See, look, I just cast a spell on you for <laughs> insulting me. Insulting me. Oliver, Oliver jumped on my lap, so I like pushed him off, and in the process of him jumping onto the floor, his tail hit me right in the eye. Good. Oh, it's tearing up. Good. <laughs> Had force to it. He's got a long ass tail. Just whip me. Oh, it's okay. It's not my looking eye. <laughs> it's your dead eye. It's my bad eye. It's fine. It's despair. It's the one she can afford to lose. Oh I, I can't. Steph, you should just take out your bad eye, and that's your Halloween costume. Like you're good to go. Just carry that oh. shit around. God, I'm tearing up. Okay. <laughs> Tracy hasn't made it through the I, first I whole sentence of her segment. I literally just said, <laughs> it's also known as the craft. 
That's all I've done so far. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, no more talking. It's just gonna be me reading. <laughs> killed stuff <laughs> okay so wiccans do not prefer the term witchcraft because that can conflate them with other occult thinking like satanism and luciferianism and harry potter i mean i don't think they mind harry potter don't at me wiccans <laughs> also all of the analogies that i have will be primarily based on judeo-christian examples because that's my background please don't at me Tracy doesn't want to hear from any of you about anything ever. No. Unless it's songs of praises. Please don't at me about including every religion on the planet, but please correct me if my logic is super flawed. Okay, let's get into this. So, the background of Wicca. It was developed in England during the first half of the 20th century, making it a relatively new religious movement. So it's not, like, super old at all. Oh. So, 1954... The book Witchcraft Today by Gerald Gardner is published. So Gerald Gardner is a huge figure in Wicca. He's known as the father of modern witchcraft, better known by his craft name, Skyre. Oh my God, did he do craft names for us all for this segment? I may have. Yes! <laughs> he joined the New Forest Coven by Mill House, which is somewhere in England. It was a media sensation that introduced the history of witchcraft to the public. So nobody really knew about it until it kind of, you know, was introduced to the public in the 1950s. So while Gardner didn't invent Wicca per se, he kind of just like publicized it. So there's a whole sect of Wicca that's named after him, which is Gardnerarian Wicca. Rolls right off the tongue. It really does. I'll refer to it a couple times, but it's not super important. It's considered to be the tradition for which all the Wiccan sects like develop. <laughs> Definitely heard Wiccan sex. I mean, there's some of that too, but it's sex. So. <laughs> you know, he was kind of problematic because he encouraged his coven members to create elaborate lies about their lineage to witches. He promoted some fake news. <laughs> Gardner is also credited with formulating the Wiccan calendar of eight religious festivals, which he really just stole from other religious holidays. And we will get to that later. <laughs> so let's talk about the structure of Wicca. All practitioners are considered priests or priestesses. It's kind of like how at Starbucks, all the employees are referred to as partners because they technically own stock in the company. I did not know that. So all the baristas have stock in Starbucks? Yeah, technically. How much? It's not a lot. It's really, it's, they're trying to be empowering. Yeah. But it's a lie. You can practice Wicca alone or in a group, but everyone has to be initiated, kind of like a baptism for witches. It's not a proselytizing religion. So like they are not looking for new members or like advertising necessarily. And there's a massive emphasis on like secrecy, they don't mystery. Go door to door. No, they are not. <laughs> Have you heard Jehovah's the word of Witnesses. guardian, whatever his name is? So it's just by like through friends and yeah, like and family. yeah, you have to seek it out to become a member of Wicca. Lineaged Wiccans are organized into covens. Traditionally, covens are made up of thirteen members, but that's like super not a big rule. Like that's just how it started. But now there are like 
larger and smaller covens. Wiccan covens tend to avoid large groups because, like I said, they value intimacy and trust in their communities. The covens are typically led by a high priest and a high priestess couple because they believe in the dichotomy of the sexes and that you need both to have balance in your life. Good for them. So practitioners join a coven so that they can be connected to a lineage of tradition and a community like a church or temple or whatever. So you may be asking, how do I join a coven? Well, let me tell you. You read my mind. One year and a day of apprenticeship is what you need to do at the beginning. So during that time of one year and a day, you take a class to learn about Wicca and all that practicing Wicca entails. You're referred to as an initiate during that time. You have a mentor within the coven who guides you through the process. And sometimes they can have a dedication ceremony during this time that's prior to the full-blown initiation ceremony. And in that dedication ceremony, the initiate is allowed to attend some of the other like yearly festival ceremonies like on a probationary basis. It's like pledging to it. A... Li- yeah, it very much is. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that. So after your initiation ceremony, you're a member, but you're a first degree member. Mm. So you may be asking, how do I become a second degree member? Here's the answer. There's another ceremony in which the initiate has to Name and describe the uses of the ritual tools. And I will talk about the ritual tools when we talk about like the actual ceremonies. But you have to talk about like all their uses and what the tradition is and all that good stuff. Once you're second degree, you can start your own semi-autonomous coven. A little break-off coven, but still under the parent coven. You can perform ceremonies like without supervision, solo. You can lead them by yourself. And... This is when you received your craft name. So let me tell you how to receive your craft name. There is a a popular way of choosing your craft name is to base it on your birth number. Your birth number? So your birth number, you write out your birthday as eight digits. So like for me, it's 12221987. Okay. Okay. And then you add all of those together and you get a number. It's probably two digits. And then you add those two digits together, and that's your birth number. Wouldn't there be a lot of overlapping names? Yeah, I was going to say, so that that in the end, that's not a lot of different numbers. So they give you two to three letters that you can then start your name with. So for me, mine is five. The letters associated with five is E-N-W. So examples that I could have are Aina spelled E-I-N-A, Neona, or Willow. Oh, Willow, like Buffy. Does that Mm -hmm. have all of those letters in it? No. No, those are just what they can start Those are the options that you can have. Those are the options. And so is there like a master list of names that you choose from? Yes. Okay, you can't just pick any name that starts with No, you can't can't be like... Eugenia or something. Yeah, I can't be like, oh, I'm Emily now. Like, no, that's not your craft name. Okay, so you have to pick a name that starts with one of those letters based on a predetermined list. There's a master list of names and your yeah. birth number tells you which letters from that list right. you can pick from. Okay. Liz, your birth number is nine and that leaves you with I-R. And for you, I selected NVIDIA Ooh. or... Raisa. No, I like NVIDIA. Okay, well, there you go. 
Okay. You can only have one. Goodbye to Miss Felicia. Good night. Yes. And you're now NVIDIA. To NVIDIA. Yeah. Steph, your birth number is two. So yours is BKT. And some examples of those include Bonami, Cassia, and Tanya. Tanya. Hi, Tanya. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah. <laughs> it's spelled like Tania. So. Oh, well, that, that makes it witchy. Yes. So there you go. Another way to get your craft name is it can be bestowed on you by a god or goddess in your dreams. Mm, so yeah, well. if you get that, then you have to go with that name. Like you don't get a choice. You may be saying, but I want to be a third degree Wiccan. How does that happen? That's when you have to kiss the cat's asshole, right? Yup. (laughs) so in order to become a third degree wiccan the ceremony includes the great rite which we will get to and self-flagellation which it has a lot of bdsm Mm. undertones in it Mm -hmm. yeah this initiate has received the highest ranking and can now form a completely autonomous coven so you don't need any parent coven at all go rogue most covens don't share the details of the exact details of their initiation process because of the emphasis on trust and secrecy. So this is just like a loose outline of what you may expect if you are joining a coven. Let's talk about some beliefs and some rituals. Let's, let's get into it. Wicca is actually super diverse in their beliefs. Some view the deities as Beings with a literal existence, like Judeo-Christian faiths believe in God. They believe that God like actually exists. There are some duotheists that fall in this category, and they believe that the horned god of fertility and the mother goddess should be worshipped, similar to yin and yang or the masculine and feminine in other traditions. There's also a monotheist sect that worship the, quote, supreme deity, which is not entirely unlike God in the like Judeo-Christian sense. The supreme deity is genderless, and there are several undergods like underneath them um, that are kind of like the saints or archangels. So it's actually kind of polytheistic, if you ask me, but they listed it as monotheistic. Some view these deities more as like symbols, and this is a loophole that allows some Wiccans to maintain that they are atheists because these you know gods are just symbols. They're viewed as Jungian archetypes, which I'm going to touch upon just for a second, but I don't want to get too in the weeds here. The Jungian archetypes were invented by Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Carl Jung between 1912 and 1913. Uh, And it's basically universal archaic images and symbols that we as humans understand from our collective unconscious. So it's derived from like the subtotal of human history. And it's like the psychic counterpart of instinct. So examples of these are like the idea of a mother, the idea of a hero, the archetype of these mm. things. Mm. Does that make sense? So that's how some people view the deities, some Wiccans. But there's another key point is that in Wicca, gods and goddesses are fallible and it's okay to argue with them, oh. which is unlike Judeo-Christian tradition. Ask no questions. Yes. yes. Believe blindly. Yeah, it's an mm-hmm. omniscient, omnipresent God in those traditions. They also don't have a philosophy on the afterlife, really. Historian Ronald Hutton said, and I pulled this directly off of Wikipedia because I didn't, I didn't want to rewrite it. 
so <laughs> it was, was really lazy. well explained. So it's I just because I'm lazy. It's, it was really well explained. So I just copied and pasted. I am citing Wikipedia. The instinctual position of most Wiccans seems to be that if one makes the most of the present life in all respects, then the next life is more or less certainly going to benefit from the process. And so one may as well concentrate on the present. So it's like a very hedonistic angle to things, which I love. The common belief that human beings have a spirit or a soul that survives like the bodily death. Our friend Gardner also believed in reincarnation, most notably that witches will be reincarnated as future witches. So like if you were a witch in your first life, you're going to be a witch for the rest of your lives. Do you come back as a better, stronger witch? They did not say better or stronger. They just said witch. And you got to go through the whole process again. Yeah. So some sects within Wicca believe in, quote, the Summerland, which is like Ooh. basically a stopover for souls between bodily death and reincarnation. So it's like kind of like purgatory, except you're not there as a punishment. You're just there waiting for the next like shipment of souls. So you're just, <laughs> you're just waiting for them to finish manufacturing your body. Waiting to be born again as another yeah. witch. Yeah, you're just hanging out. It's just the stopover point. It's like where you pick up your pop and refreshments. Like it's your layover. Pop. Yeah. This belief allows for Wiccans to subscribe to the role of mediums that can speak to the deceased. So it's like, oh, if your grandma is in Summerland because she's not reincarnated yet, like, oh, we can talk to her with, through these mediums because she's How just hanging out in Summerland. How long do you hang out in Summerland? There was no time frame given in my research, so... I guess until you acknowledge that this witch has been reincarnated in another witch, I guess. Huh. So let's talk about the use of magic in Wicca. Ooh. Magic is a manipulative force exercised through the practice of witchcraft or sorcery. Sorcery, and, yeah. I love it. So Wiccans believe in magic as a law of nature that modern science does not fully understand or account for. So it's kind of like the in-between stuff that we can't explain yet. Some modern Wiccans do not even refer to the good and evil magic dichotomy of like white magic versus black magic because it's not fair to the color black to always be associated with no. evil. <laughs> Scholars, when Wicca first gained popularity, thought that Wicca was just a reactionary movement to secularism and that people were just subscribing to this like occult way of thinking as a as like a pushback to secularism. Mm -hmm. But studies have shown that Wiccans actually have a higher percentage of being in like super scientific job positions and fields and stuff like that. So it huh, doesn't really hold water. Counterintuitive. Yeah. Lots of scientistas, my friends. Also, Wiccans view themselves as um, a persecuted religion. Uh, this quote is from scholar of religion and Wiccan high priestess Joanne Pearson. So this is her quote. Identifying as a witch also enables Wiccans to link themselves with those persecuted in the witch trials of the early modern period, often referred to by Wiccans as, quote, the burning times, which I thought was kind of spooky. <laughs> They're also an earth-centered religion. There's a huge focus on the five elements, which is part of the pentagram that you see in a lot of Wiccan yeah. symbolism. The focus on the five elements also sometimes referred to a compass. And I'll explain that in a second. The Earth is viewed as North. I'm thinking of Captain Planet. 
Earth, wind, fire, water, and heart. It really is kind of Captain Planety. I even have that note. Yeah. Is the fifth one heart? The fifth one is spirit. But let me get to that. I mean, same thing. Same, same. So it's earth is north, air is east, fire is south, water is west, and air or... I don't know if it's aether or ether. It's spelled A-E-T-H-E-R. So I would say ether, but I don't know that. Spirit or ether is meant to bind the other four elements together, and that's the center of the compass. So that's how they kind of weave that into their symbolism. But the pentagram has five points. Well, no. no. So the compass is different, different than, than is not a pentagram. Like, oh, okay. The pentagram is different. They can the use compass. both. So they use okay. the cardinal directions, and in that imagery, the spirit is the center. But when you use the pentagram, it's just five points. And the spirit is the one on top. I see. They also view themselves Captain as yep, a life-affirming religion. So, Gonna take pollution down to zero. So there's the Wiccan read, which is <laughs> the statement that provides like the Wiccan moral system. And it goes like this. Eight words the Wiccan read fulfill... And it harm none, do what ye will. So that's usually abbreviated to, and it harm none, do what ye will. So as long as you're not hurting anyone, like, live and let live, essentially. You do you. Yeah. Then there's the law of threefold return, or the rule of three. And that is, whatever you do in the world, it will come back to you three times over. So it's kind of like a karma type thing. And there's also another interpretation, which is that whatever you do equal force will come back to you on three levels, the mind, the body, and the spirit. Mm. So like, don't be an asshole, essentially. There's a really famous poem within Wicca called Charge of the Goddess. And this one espouses eight virtues that are super important to Wicca, which is mirth, reverence, honor, humility, strength, beauty, power, and compassion. Rituals. So there are some special life ceremonies. There's hand fasting, which you'll find in some Irish traditions. In Wicca, it's a trial marriage for a year and a day, at which point you can just part ways and like no harm, no foul. No contract. Yeah. Not like legally recognized. Correct. So their vows during the hand fasting ceremony is not till death do us part. It's for as long as love lasts. Oh, so it's like, don't like stay in a too. shitty marriage just because you're both still breathing. I like that one, too. Mm-hmm. There's also wickening, which is similar to like Christianity's baptism or christening. It's when you give your child the gift of Wicca. That's a quote in a matter suitable to their age. And so you're basically like presented to the God and goddess for protection. But unlike in Judeo-Christianity, it does not obligate the child to practice Wicca in adulthood because Wicca is all about free will and you have to like choose it for yourself and like get initiated later on. So what does it actually do for them then? It offers the protection of the God and goddess. them until they make their choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an insurance policy for your child. Gotcha. <laughs> Rituals usually take place on a full moon or a new moon. They use the lunar calendar for like basically everything. And we'll talk about the process now. So first, there's the purification of the sacred space and the participants. 
and this may be done sky clad or nude. They like to do it sky clad because that removes like any insignia of social rank during the ceremony and the energy flow is not impeded by like clothing. <laughs> then they cast a sacred circle. And the sacred circle may include any or all of the following tools. A knife called an athame, which is a ceremonial blade with a black handle. A wand, a pentacle, a chalice, a broomstick known as a besom, which is just an old time term for broomstick, according to the internet. A cauldron, candles, incense, and a curved blade known as a boleen, which is a ceremonial blade with a white handle. So again, the dichotomy of the two blades. Then they call to the elemental quarters, which is the guardians of the court cardinal points. So like air, earth, etc. Then there's a cone of power. Hmm. The cone of power is visualized as a cone of energy that encompasses the circumference of the circle and tapering off at a point above the group. So like the sacred circle becomes the cone of power. It's like an invisible TP over them. Essentially. Okay. And then there's the drawing down the gods, which is basically just like shouting up to the gods, like, hey, we're talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's some spell casting, you know, like you do. Yeah, of course. And then at this time, there may be the great rite, a.k.a. sex magic. Ooh. The ritual involves symbolic sexual intercourse between the high priest and the high priestess with the purpose of drawing energy from the powerful connection between the male and the female element. So sometimes it's symbolic, sometimes it's not very symbolic. <laughs> what is it when it is symbolic? What is what what do they actually do? Well, let me tell you. So this is invoking the god and goddess. Uh, many times it's performed symbolically using the athame for the penis, which again is the blade with the black handle, and the chalice for the womb. So it's basically like pantomiming, essentially. Okay. The great rite is not performed very often because it's used when the coven is in need of a powerful spiritual intervention to help them get through a difficult time, or if you're initiating a third degree. So mm. it's not used a lot because not a lot of people get to that point after that is my favorite section of the ritual which is wine cakes chanting dancing and games <laughs> it's basically a party yeah it's just a oh it's a party super that just a party on the regular yeah yep. just, that's exactly what it is it's a backyard barbecue essentially and mm-hmm. then it's the farewell to the quarters and the participants so the quarters are the cardinal direction gods. Mm. So say peace out to them and then to each other. And finally, we are going to talk about the Wiccan holiday calendar. Please note that this is for the Northern Hemisphere because they follow the seasons. Obviously, the Southern Hemisphere would have a different calendar. So. Okay. You'll have to look that up yourself, Southern Hemisphere listeners. Sorry about that. They are so abundant. And I apologize in advance to all of the Wiccans listening on how I pronounce these because it's going to be very terrible. So there's Sawin, which is a.k.a. Halloween. That is October 31st to November 1st. So it happens while the moon is out. Ah. 
It's overnight. It's overnight, correct. And that is a celebration of death in the ancestors. Similar to like, I was envisioning the movie Coco. Like Day of the Dead. Yeah. 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 It's similar to that. It's a celebration. Then there's Yuletide, which is December 21st or 22nd, my birthday, depending on when the winter solstice falls. And that is celebrated as the rebirth of the sun. Happy birthday, sunshine. I am the sun. That's all that. (laughs) That's what I've learned from this. That was a leap. Uh. (laughs) Then there's Imbolc, which is also called Candlemas. That's on February 1st or 2nd. And that's the first signs of spring. And then there's Ostara, which is March 21st or 22nd. And that's the vernal equinox, which is the beginning of spring. There's Beltane, which is also known as May Day. That's the night of April 30th going into May 1st. And that's the full flowering of spring. And that's also when the fairy folk are most active. Ooh. And that's like when you're supposed to bang outside. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Typical. Put that on my calendar. Yep. That was what, May 1st? May 1st. The night going into May 1st, really. May 1st, bang outside. Okay. You're welcome. There's Litha. (laughs) That's June 21st or 22nd, and that's the summer solstice. There's Lugnasad, which is also known as Lamas. (laughs) That's either July 31st or August 1st, and that's the first fruits. So, like, basically, like a blossoming holiday. And then Maybon, which is also known as Modron, that's September 21st or 22nd. That's the autumnal equinox, and it celebrates the harvest of grain. So yeah, so I'm going to incorporate all of those holidays into my everyday life, and I'm very excited about it. You're all welcome to my May Day celebration. Woo! All the wine, cake, and dancing. And that's it. That's my segment. I apologize to Tracy for any Italian I may mispronounce. We apologize to the entirety of Italy. Nope, nope just, just me. to Tracy. Okay. <laughs> just me. So, my segment takes place in Acetora. And this is a very small town in southern Italy of about 2,000 people. So, it's like smaller than my high school. Okay. And every year they celebrate their patron saint. St. Julian. So remember my segment on historic football or Florentine football? How could you forget it? Why don't don't you (laughs) say the name of that game for us, Liz? (laughs) Don't, don't. Calcio Historico. (laughs) Calcio Hysterectomy. (laughs) Yep, that's what it was. That game is tied to the celebrations of Florence's patron saint. So they celebrate it on his feast day. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what is happening here in Achaitora as well. There's this celebration that happens on the feast day for St. Julian, who is the patron saint of Achaitora. Were you just, when you were researching your topics, were you just looking up like stories that will make Tracy angry? Like, <laughs> I feel like that's what you Googled. <laughs> so in discovering this topic, it occurred to me, that lots of towns and cities all have patron saints. They're just like, in some places they're honored more 
sort of publicly than in other places, depending on how um, like deeply rooted that community is with like the church. I feel like Denver's patron saint is just like Saint Cannabis. <laughs> I don't. I will get. I there. don't know that every oh, single city. <laughs> Has a patron saint. Well, so the it, it's technically it's not the city that has the patron saint. It's the city's diocese. So the yeah, church that makes sense for that mm. city. Yeah, and so sometimes those are so closely connected to each other that it's the same. Basically, any if you live somewhere where there's like a diocese, you have a patron saint. Do we know what ours are? Did you look up ours? Of course, I did. Hooray! Oh. <laughs> Going back to my roots first for a second, obviously you might be able to guess the patron saint of Boston is St. Patrick. Patrick. Yep. Um, So this is an example of like, you don't have to be religious to celebrate like the whole city of Boston celebrates St. Patrick's Day, as do cities all across the world. He's a big popular one. Out of curiosity, I looked up the patron saints for all of our current cities. Yay! Nice. Starting with Arlington, Virginia. My patron saint is St. Thomas More. Oh, he's, he's a, a good Renaissance one. era man. So, like circa 1500s. And he is the patron saint of statesmen and politicians. Well, that makes, that sense. makes sense. Yep. <laughs> he Boring. also wrote the novel, uh, I don't know if it was a novel per se, but Utopia. Which was about... uh, That's what I'm like. I know I know the name. He wrote something famous. Yeah, yeah. So it's about political systems Mm -hmm. of an imaginary island state. And Russia honors him for the communist views he portrays in Utopia. Hmm. Hmm. Fun fact. Fun fact, he was a communist. (laughs) Comrade Liz. He was elected to parliament. And even though he served in politics, he was executed because he refused to acknowledge that the king was greater than the church. So that's why he eventually became canonized, because he had like loyalty to the church. Mm -hmm. He was a martyr. Yeah. So now I don't technically live in D.C., but I work there. So I quickly also looked up D.C.'s patron saint. You're claiming Which like is... three patron saints, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> this is excessive. DCs, you can all also claim this as well. Also, you're not technically from Boston, right? Excuse me? <laughs> I am aren't, from... you an... aren't you from a suburb of Boston? It's from Dorchester. No, I'm from Dorchester. Oh, I thought you were from a suburb of Boston for no. some reason. This is what I say, which now I feel like that I can't really argue so much because I'm from Arlington now and not DC, but growing up or like being in college or whatever, I would meet people that were quote from Boston and I'd be like, Oh no way. Which part? And they would be like Bill Rooka, which is just like bumfuck nowhere. Mm. And I'd be like, that's not Boston. And I would get mad at them. And I'm from Boston. Dorchester. You just stepped on a fucking landmine. Like, yeah, Jesus. Sorry. I was going to say, I'll pull up my birth certificate. I was not born in Boston. (laughs) (laughs) She does not have the receipts. (laughs) No receipts. I couldn't have gone to my school if my family were not taxpaying residents of the city. All right. All right. So anyways. Go on. DC's patron saint is St. Matthew the Apostle, who is the patron saint of bankers, accountants, 
tax collector and civil servant. <laughs> Everyone who saint? is hated. Everyone who Why is hated. Why do bankers have a saint? <laughs> they need to be looked at. First for. of all, everyone has a saint. <gasps> tax <Second> collectors. <laughs> oh my patron God. saint of tax collectors. <laughs> That's a shitty one. So Tracy, yeah. her town is part of the Archdiocese of Denver. Sure. She has two patron saints. Double dipping. Because of course Tracy does. <laughs> well, you have three, so. <laughs> yeah, but that was across three different locations. Yeah. yeah. Denver's first patron saint is just the, quote, Immaculate Conception, which is not what? even a saint. <laughs> That's just an event. It's a dogma. Yeah, I don't understand. Somehow... It passes as a patron saint. It's also the national patron saint of Spain. Just like all of Spain is the Immaculate Conception. A real original, Tracy. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's some bullshit. If that was the only patron saint that I had, I'd, I would riot. <laughs> well, don't worry. We make You've up. You've got a backup. <laughs> we okay. make up for it with the other patron saint, which is St. Francis of Assisi. He's the patron saint of animals. Yep. And Italy. Yep. There you go. See? Yay! Also, ecology and stowaways. Oh. Oh. <laughs> stowaways. <laughs> ecology, not so much, but stowaways I can get behind. How many... You just don't get behind ecology? <laughs> I mean, like, how many patron saints are there? Oh, there are If we can have ton. a specific patron saint for stowaways... Well, and tax yeah, I mean, there's how many are there? Haven't you guys ever heard of St. Anthony? He, he helps you find your lost shit. Oh, I have heard of that one. Dear St. Anthony, please come around. Something is lost and can't be found. And if you find it, please bring it to me and I will be happy as can be. Amen. You're welcome. <laughs> Blessed be. <laughs> so, you see how quickly I like recalled yeah. that from my wow. childhood. Do you know what the last time I prayed to St. Anthony for? Probably to find my Lisa Frank notebook in like second grade. <laughs> uh, but like every profession has yeah. a patron saint, like especially like the services, like you oh, have a patron yeah. saint as a hospital worker staff. I don't know oh. who it is, but I'm certain you have one. Oh yeah. They, they have like for all first responders everything. have different patron mm -hmm. saints. Wow. Any professional. And then like any cause, like every type of cancer, I think has like a oh, patron yeah. saint. Jeez. Uh, my confirmation name is St. Lucy and she is a patron saint of the blind. Mine was Cecilia. She's the patron saint of music. She is. It almost makes it a, like it, it dilutes the importance of being a saint when you can just be a saint of anything. Like it sounds like everyone became a saint. I don't think well, that's no, true. Well, there's, no, there's a lot you have to go through to become a saint. Yeah, there. Well, a lot of people went through it, apparently, because somebody got tax collectors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were just late to the game. <laughs> that was all that was left. Yep. <laughs> you can get stowaways, ecology, or tax collectors. Why not Take all three? <laughs> so, Honolulu, and also mm -hmm. Hawaii... Patron saint of pineapples. So Hawaii apparently has one archdiocese, like for all the islands. Sure, that makes and sense. And so your patron saint, Steph, is Father Damien. He was born in Belgium in 1840 and died in Hawaii because he went there to treat the lepers. I was going to say, isn't he the guy who ran the leper colony? Yep. Because oh. the leper colony is run by, like, the only way you can go see the, the prior colony of lepers and Molokai is through a company called St. Damien or something. Yeah. Because I tried, I wanted to go there, and then now everything's closed down, so it's not going to happen for a while. But I remember seeing St. Damien a lot. 
Mm-hmm. And so he's a new saint, relatively. So he was canonized in 2009. So he's a little baby saint. Baby. What is his official... <laughs> what is he officially the saint of? Leprosy and outcasts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That seems right. Oh. <laughs> But I encourage you for fun, like look up the patron saints of your hometowns I'm and doing it right for now. all of our listeners. Check them out. But anyways, that was a large digression. Hey, Erie PA is also St. Patrick. Oh, I think he's popular. Yeah. So back to St. Julian of Achetora. Okay. He has no known patronages. So he's the patron saint of nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he really ran out. Well, also his status is, quote, pre-congregation. So he's only canonized like locally by the bishop. So he's only really recognized as a saint, essentially, in that diocese. And so he hasn't risen to the level of being canonized by the pope yet. So he's just like recognized among the people as being their saint and they can pray to him. But like the Vatican has not yet like investigated him for miracles or anything like that. So he's just like a local saint and not like a Vatican recognized saint. Just like a local hometown hero. First degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, first. Hasn't kissed the cat's asshole yet. That's pretty much, yeah. There's kind of three degrees to becoming a saint. Um, so yeah, he would be the first degree. His feast day is celebrated every year with a wedding. Somebody has to get married that day. Mm-hmm. So the preparation always starts the Sunday after Easter. Actually, I would argue that it starts like in January, but it really kicks up the Sunday after Easter. On this day, a group of woodsmen walk more than 12 miles into the Monte Piano Forest to cut down an oak tree. And they got to lug it back 12 miles? Yes. Oh, my God. It's really important because the oak tree is the groom. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. What? Oh, did I not mention it's a tree wedding? <laughs> <laughs> but they just killed the tree by cutting it down. Well, just wait. So they cut down the tree and they secure it to oxen. So they don't have to carry it themselves. Oh, they, okay. they, they have oxen lug it back. Did the tree consent? It doesn't sound like the tree consented. The tree was chosen. Oh, okay. It's a noble <laughs> thing. <laughs> so it was chosen by like the town, the woodsmen. Their criteria is the highest and the straightest tree in the forest. What if the highest and the straightest trees are not the same tree? Well, it's the best tree that meets those qualifications. Yeah. It's got to meet both. One week later, they go to the Gallipoli forest to cut down a holly tree. And this is the bride. Sure. She's carried by foot to the village. I don't know how far away this forest was, but apparently much closer. And she's also a smaller tree anyways. So they carry her by foot to the village. Along the way, locals dance and sing and play music. And the criteria for the holly tree is that it has to be the most beautiful and the most leafy holly. I feel like beautiful is subjective. I really want to be... <laughs> leafy is more quantitative. I really want to be referred to as the leafiest bride. Like, if one of you could please make that happen, that would be great. I mean, you kind of are. Your ring and your dress. You're right. Oh! <gasps> 
I'm the leafiest bride. Tracy's a tree. You're the most beautiful and the most leafy bride. Oh my God, I am. <laughs> you will also be the only bride that day, but that's besides the point. <laughs> oh my God. So the trees are chosen as early as January and they require weeks of negotiation. I don't really know what the negotiation is, but I imagine it's just all the woodsmen. Wait, with the tree? <laughs> I <laughs> there's where the consent comes in this is where consent if happens. you agree to get married we will provide you with ample water i want to be a bachelor make, forever be a good sermon <laughs> we'll take care of all your saplings i imagine it was just the local woodsmen just arguing with each other on what they think is the most beautiful the tree yeah, it's subjective. the sturdiest yeah all right but so the decision is made in january they pick the trees out so that when they start the process after Easter, they know exactly which tree they're going to get. And locals say it takes as much care as a human wedding. I feel like that's not they true. Take it but very okay. seriously. Who's footing the bill on this? Yeah. The, the town tax. The, the bride's family, obviously, <laughs> Steph. There's a dowry. I feel like her parents probably don't have any money. <laughs> They're literally just made of money, Steph. I know, just oh my god, say. they chop the tree down and make it into money? Is that what you're saying? The parents. <laughs> oh my god. The in-laws are gone. They paid for the wedding. <laughs> In order to pay <laughs> for your wedding, lives. you need to kill your parents. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus. <laughs> so at sunset on the following Tuesday, the bride and groom are married on the Feast of the Ascension. It's a terrible day to get married. Why not a weekend? Because it's the feast day. It's when St. Julian ascended into heaven. You can't change that. It's like Christmas. You can't schedule it over a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a parade. Paintings of the saint are carried around. Candles are lit. The trees are usually grafted together. So they kind of like, they cut a diagonal in both of them and then just like fit them together. So they make one tall tree. And so the oak tree is the like strong, sturdy base. And then the pretty holly is on top. Oh, so they, they mount the holly on top it's of the Franken oak. tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they make a single tree, usually like 90 feet ish tall. And then they just hoist it up so that it stands over the city and they party all night. So bizarre. (laughs) I mean, it's no worse than having a Christmas tree, basically. Like, it's a little bit worse. Just taking this tree out of its environment and putting it in a central location for people to celebrate around. I mean, we decorate the tree with all kinds of bullshit. Like, this is true. I don't think original Christmas had anything to do with the Ninja Turtle ornament on my parents christmas tree you don't know anything <laughs> about the original christmas <laughs> michelangelo died for your sins did he no <laughs> the tree remains for a couple of weeks during which time brave young men tried to climb it to quote find the hidden treasure at the top oh my. when you like look up pictures of the event mostly you find pictures of men like hanging from the top of the tree or trying to like climb ropes around it or something so i don't know what they actually find when they get there i think it's Wait, we don't know what the treasure is figurative no it's something inner peace i don't know it's some bullshit like that so men just try to climb to the top and joy will come to them later i don't know Boo. Bullshit. So that is 
the wedding. That's Mr. and Mrs. Achetora. <laughs> Some of the history behind the event is believed to be rooted in pagan traditions. Yeah, pagans. Aren't all holidays? Yeah. Um, the pagans know how to party. Ancient agrarian and arboreal rites are common in many peasant communities in European countries, which would be the case here for this town in Italy. The ceremony itself honors the nature of like the awakening of spring or Earth's fertility. But really a central theme is that of socializing. So the ceremony isn't really about uniting the trees as it is about uniting the people. Sure. Um, so it's bringing people together to celebrate their history and culture. I like that we're celebrating fertility by killing trees. <laughs> <laughs> but then you join them. I don't know. And they die. They're still going to die. We kill plants for every major holiday, like flowers for Valentine's Day, fir trees for Christmas. Like, I mean, sure, but this is celebrating fertility. Or just spring awakening. Mm -hmm. I really held back just now from singing a spring awakening song. I want to be recognized. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Good job. During the celebrations, no old grudges are allowed to be held. Quote, we put every divide aside and eat from each other's plates, like whole big family. It's a way to preserve and strengthen bonds within our community. Good for you. The reason why they likely use trees are because pagans were known to worship trees as people. This might go back as far as ancient Greece, where you had to worship Zeus in a grove of oak trees. I don't really know why, but that's just the way it was. I don't know if it made it look like there were more people worshiping him. I have no idea. Mm. But so then the Greeks settled into southern Italy in the 8th and 7th centuries BC. And so they probably brought their tradition of trees and like worship or celebration with them. And so that's probably where it took root in, in southern Italy. And the religious aspect wasn't added until the 18th century. So really just an afterthought, like it was always just like this pagan celebration that they did. And then hundreds of years later, they were like, maybe let's throw in some St. Julian in here and do it Typical. on his feast day. Typical. <laughs> yeah. That's just a cover up, man. We know what you were really mm -hmm. doing. So as with Florentine football, the wedding this year was canceled because of COVID. Ooh, so. trees don't get COVID. <laughs> yeah, but everyone attending the wedding is human. No. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the first time since World War II that the wedding was canceled. And oh, postponed, postponed. The real casualty of COVID is the trees. I mean, they're not going to have two next year. <laughs> you don't know that. The town officials compare the cancellation to a collective trauma or mourning. To lift the spirits of their people, the mayor proposed, which and I don't know if he's actually done this yet, but he suggested gifting each resident of the town with a small piece of the trees. So like Aww. the trees had been selected back in January. So we already know which tree would have been the bride and groom if they were able to have the wedding. Oh, they had a falling out. <laughs> Wedding is canceled. The mayor proposed that in order to maintain like a connection among the people during social distancing. We're still going to kill the trees, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> you don't have to All live concerned. this year without murder. And give, mm -hmm, we'll give you each a piece of the corpse to prove it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, as with Florentine football, it's also becoming increasingly popular with tourists. And so tourists are now outnumbering locals at the wedding every year. And so it's really sort of 
hampering the whole community feel of, you know, what the whole celebration is supposed to be about for the locals. White people ruin everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to assume it's white tourists ruining it. <laughs> I think it's a valid assumption. Could be any tourists. It's going to be Tracy next year. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> going to the year. wedding. <laughs> that is Mr. and Mrs. Achitora. Achitora. On a stormy day back during the Napoleonic Wars, a French ship sank. And the only survivor of this wreck washed ashore in the town of Hartlepool, England. Was he the only survivor because he ate everyone else? No. Okay. Was it a pig? No, it was a monkey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> the people of Hartlepool had never laid eyes on a monkey before. <gasps> oh. oh, I know this story. The people of Hartlepool had never laid eyes on a Frenchman before. <laughs> Naturally, logically... Obviously, they assumed that this hairy little humanoid creature, who they couldn't understand, must be a Frenchman speaking French. It's a little monkey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, what year was this? Uh, This is during the Napoleonic Wars, which was the late 1700s into the early 1800s. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, the people of Hartlepool brought this monkey, this French monkey, to court, and they tried him for being a spy for France. (laughs) Which, by the way, if that were true, worst fucking spy ever. He sticks out like a sore thumb. (laughs) You'd think they'd train the spy to speak the language. Like, terrible, terrible spying. The monkey was found guilty, and he was hanged on the beach for his crimes. Who defended the monkey? I don't know. (laughs) He probably was he able to testify on his own behalf. I mean, not in English. They couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying, so they were like, "Well, he's just speaking gibberish." But clearly, he's a spy, so that sounds like French to me. He probably pronounces French better than I do, though. To be fair, (laughs) some people say that this story is just a myth, but the people of Hartlepool became known as monkey hangers. (laughs) Oh. That's what the a worst terrible nickname. reputation. Yeah. Well, initially, this was like a term of mockery for their idiocy and hanging a monkey. But the people of Hartlepool came to kind of own the name, kind of like how we came to they know. Reclaimed the, it. Yeah, like how, like how we reclaimed Harpies, which is not like initially an insult. Not a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Too better. <laughs> the mascot of their mm. football club is Hangus the Monkey. H apostrophe A-N-G-U-S Hangus the monkey And he has been elected mayor three times Amazing See that's the kind of Using your vote as a joke That is acceptable (laughs) Not the election of Donald Trump Welcome to my TED talk So the first time was in 2002 He was actually like It was the man who is in the mascot suit normally But he was like in the guise of Hangus the monkey when he was elected. The next two times, he was just like himself, the human named Stuart Drummond. This story may seem absurd, and it, like so absurd that it must be made up, but back in the Middle Ages in Europe, if you were wronged by an animal, Tracy, you're right, we're talking about bringing animals to court. Yes! <laughs> I know you too well. Mm-hmm. This was a real thing that happened. So records are spotty from this time and some of these stories are believed to have been like made up afterwards 
But it was a real thing that happened. So some, like many of them are true, and it is a thing that people did bring animals to court for being <laughs> for being wronged. Yeah, most of these cases happened in the medieval era between the 13th and 16th centuries, and there are records of executions of bulls, horses, dogs, sheep, pigs, eels, and somehow dolphins. <laughs> what did the dolphin do? I mean, aren't dolphins actually spies? Or like well, probably they not work back for then. the military. <laughs> not I mean, back then. This is pre-CIA training dolphins. There was one incident of the dolphins that was in Marseille. 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 In 1596. But there's no further information about this. It's just like a line in a book somewhere that like a list of trials that happened. So I don't know what happened, what the dolphins did, but they were they were tried in 1596. Clearly guilty. So animal court. If an animal committed a homicide, a secular tribunal court would inflict punishment upon that animal. This was a common situation for pigs, horses, cows, and other domestic animals, generally larger animals. Pigs in particular were the biggest offenders here. We will get into that later. Oh, God. <laughs> By the way, my title, Trying Bacon, it's a homo. As was thinking that, yeah. I was thinking that Tracy's so good at guessing your titles because she's very homographically aware. I was just thinking, trying bacon, like who was the first person to ever eat bacon and think <laughs> like everybody should be eating this. And she got the other homo. <laughs> good job, yep. Tracy. I am homographically aware. I'm putting that on my resume. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a very good skill. Mm hmm. I think so. Should use that as a strength when you're interviewed to counter your hangry episodes. <laughs> that <laughs> is still the best weakness. <laughs> and honest. So these animals, when they were tried for things like homicide, were actually brought into the courtroom to like stand trial and participate in their defense. Oftentimes like with a lawyer and everything. <laughs> I was gonna say, did they testify? I mean there was there was like lawyers and witnesses. I don't think the animal ever actually, like, I don't think they could testify in their own defense, but they were there. No, you don't think so, Steph? You don't think that's a good idea? <laughs> Do you think it's because the pig would incriminate itself? Uh. <laughs> Punishment was usually exile or death, but sometimes animals were put in prison. Oh my God, can you imagine showing up to prison and your roommate is a pig? <laughs> Have you seen the picture that's gone like viral somewhat recently of a pigeon in like a prison cell? No. And um, I think he just like got caught in there, like he like flew in or something. And I don't know okay. why this pigeon is in this prison cell, um, but they like the people took a picture of him, like the guards took a picture of the pigeon. And when they posted it, they put the little black bar over his eyes to hide his identity. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> animals that were put in in prison. It was often assumed that, like, while they were in prison, they probably weren't actually using their prison sentence time to like reflect on what they'd done wrong and like reform themselves. <laughs> so the owner of the animal was often charged a boarding fee for the animal during its prison sentence as like a secondhand punishment. <laughs> Like, your pig committed a crime, we're putting it in jail, and you have to pay for us to take care of it. Kick him while he's down. Damn. Yeah, right? So, like, back in this time, animals kind of, like, roamed free in the fields and kind of sometimes even the villages. 
And there were children outside doing manual labor for their families, like in the fields. So accidents between these two groups were common, which is how these situations arose to begin with. If an animal committed a less severe crime, such as destroying a farmer's crops, they would get put on trial. But this was usually the instance of like groups of animals, such as rats, mice, locusts, weevils, and other vermin. If the vermin lost at trial, they were often excommunicated or an exorcism would take place to banish them from the land. Oftentimes, before the excommunication or the banishment or the exorcism, they would be given an order to vacate first. And, and how effective were these? Not very. <laughs> so when they didn't vacate on their own, then they would have the you know, excommunication or whatever. Mainly, this type of thing was done because it made the people feel better about exterminating these animals. So, like, they had this, like, feeling or thought back then that all of these creatures were God's creation, so them and their destructive behavior must somehow be part of God's plan, and we shouldn't be destroying God's creation and ruining his plan. But if we bring them to trial at a court church and they are found to be like in violation of god's law then it's okay let's talk briefly and i'm only gonna do briefly because this is awful about bestiality oh wait were the animals punished for being assaulted well we'll get to it right now what so if a human and animal were found to have committed bestiality together Oftentimes, most times, both the human and the animal were tried for the crime. And sometimes both were, I don't know if it was separate or the same trial, but oftentimes both were found guilty. So a guy comes along. Did the animal seduce the human (laughs) with its sexy, porky curves? I mean, what the hell? (laughs) What was the pig wearing? It's porky curves. So a guy fucks a pig. Not only does this pig have to go through the trauma of being raped, but now it has to go to trial and relive it and get executed alongside the rapist. Like, what the fuck? But it can't testify. I know. It just sits up there and grunts. Oh, yeah. Horrible. Some cases, though, the animal was let off because it was determined that the animal did not provide consent. This should have been the case every time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is the mitigating factor there? There was one instance in 1750 when a donkey was let off, so like a let off after a case of bestiality, because somebody wrote a letter attesting that he had known the donkey for four years and said that, quote, she had always shown herself to be virtuous and well-behaved, both at home and abroad. (laughs) Why is this donkey going abroad? I don't know. (laughs) Well, he travels. I was going to say, like, that's a well-traveled, you know, goods to places, to the market. I don't know. <laughs> it's a work. She was donkey. known for being well behaved, and this was not in character for her, so clearly she did not consent to this. The asshole that raped her was burned to death. Burned to death? Yes. Burned. Oh boy. The rapist was burned. Now let's go into some cases. In 1379 in France, there were two herds of pigs who were feeding together when suddenly, I don't know why, three of them suddenly got agitated. They charged at the swine master's son, which I didn't know swine master was a word, but it is. It's a very noble profession, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Swine master. Clearly. The swine master's son got charged and he was injured badly and ultimately died from his injuries. 
all of the pigs were taken to trial, not just the three aggressors who did the charging. Because, quote, with their cries and aggressive actions, they showed that they approved of the assault. So because the pigs... I, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> because they were present when the three And they pigs didn't try attacked, to stop it. They didn't try to stop <laughs> it, and they just, like, made noises, as pigs do. Clearly, they were just, like, cheering and egging on the aggressors. So they were, they were roped into it. How do we know that these cries were not, like, cries of horror for witnessing this traumatic event? I don't know. Initially, all of the pigs were condemned to death, after due process of law, of course. But Friar Humbert de Pontier, I hope I said that right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Did not want to suffer the economic loss of all of the pigs, so he went ahead and wrote a letter to the Duke of Burgundy begging that all the onlooker pigs be pardoned. <laughs> <laughs> i just can't ever imagine having to like write a letter of like legal standing like an official on letter on letterhead animal. in all seriousness like oh my god making a legal case for these pigs to not be condemned to death so later all but the three aggressor pigs were pardoned because they were deemed to be only accomplices they were accessory to murder, not, oh you know, not the murderers. So they were allowed to live, I'm sure, until they were turned into bacon, but whatever. Oh. <laughs> Instances like this were not uncommon, though. Like I said before, pigs were the biggest offenders here. They seemed to have a proclivity toward murder. Oh, my. I didn't know they were predisposed to that. Uh, apparently they are. I have heard they are aggressive. They roamed around freely in large groups. Pig gangs. And they were known to chew off ears and noses and kill children. Oh, my. In one instance, a pig violated church decree when it had the audacity to eat a child on a Friday. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Sorry, was the Friday could it be eat children on, yeah, on Sundays? <laughs> I mean, you're not supposed to eat meat on Friday, right? That is accurate. So not only did it commit murder, but it ate a child on a Friday. So it offended the, the church as well. As well, yes. Extra offensive because it was a Friday. In 1394 in France, a pig was hanged after eating consecrated wafers, which made me think of Liz because she used to stole the wafers. <laughs> were they consecrated, the ones that you stole, Liz? No, they were just like out of the box from like oh, okay. the delivery. Like it was like a cereal gotcha. box. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get consecrated until the actual mass. Where oh, like okay. they are blessed. I wonder how this pig got a hold of a consecrated wafer then. In 1457 in France, again, a pig and her six piglets were accused of killing a five-year-old child. Not the babies. The babies were roped into the this. Babies. Yes. Were they tried as juveniles? We'll get to it. <laughs> so this trial included a judge, two prosecutors, eight witnesses, and a defense attorney. Yep. For the pig and the six piglets. They were all found guilty. Well, initially they were all found guilty. The mother was hung by her hind feet from a gallows tree. Aww. They later determined that the piglets... They decided to let the piglets off after all, because while they were actually, I don't think they were ever found guilty. The mother was found guilty. The piglets were not. The piglets, while they were determined to be covered in blood, like that's how they were found, 
There was no actual evidence that the piglets did the attacking. No one saw them. Nobody witnessed that. Right. There were eight witnesses, but apparently no one could say whether or not the piglets were involved in the attack or not. But furthermore, they're minors. They're not capable of making informed decisions. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> what is the threshold in pig years for like becoming an adult? I'm Googling it now. Yes, please, Tracy. I did not look that up. Also, they were raised by a rogue pig mother who did not teach them, quote, the proper code of conduct for a village dwelling piglet. A rogue <laughs> pig mother? Was so, it not their actual mother or... Were they just in unfortunate, they were raised in pig poverty or something? <laughs> pig poverty? <laughs> so the pig's real age, if it's under a year old, it's equivalent to being under 18 as a human. So you become an adult pig after one okay, year. So they must have been less than a year old. I mean, I'm sure that they had Google to determine this as well. I think the mother's behavior was just rogue. Like, she wasn't following societal norms, you know? And she, she was, did sure. she, she not rough. belong to anyone? She was like a wild pig? Or... I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if there were wild pigs wandering around neighborhoods. Regardless. I mean, they sound like stray cats in these communities. <laughs> <laughs> In 14, this is a good one. In 1474 in Switzerland, a young rooster committed, quote, the heinous and unnatural crime of laying an egg. Oh. What? Looks like a case of mistaken gender identity. (laughs) Mm. The people were all up in arms because a rooster supposedly laid an egg, and this is like unnatural. It's clearly like a devil chicken. Devil chicken. (laughs) unclear like what the evidence was that the rooster laid an egg like did they see it lay an egg maybe it was just sitting on an egg to like give the hen a break maybe it was a hen to rooster transgender chicken we don't know how that animal identified yeah i don't know so i don't i don't know the details of the egg laying and history has not recorded it but I would like to All see right. personally where it's written down anywhere that it is forbidden for a rooster to lay an egg to begin with, but apparently it is. <laughs> it was blasphemous, so it's against the church, not against, mm. like, civilian crime. I guess so. Clearly he didn't have a good lawyer because it was deemed an act of heresy and the chicken was burned. No! I think when animals were burned, they were also not eaten, but I'm not sure of that. I was gonna say, is this just, like, and because then they, they had brunch excuse for dinner. <laughs> like, I think if the animal was like killed for a crime, it was not then consumed. But I don't I don't know for sure. In 1840s in France, again, it was determined that slugs were destroying the church grounds. So they were brought to trial and Cardinal Bishop of Aton, I think is how you say it, A-U-T-U-N, Aton, ruled against the slugs. In his ruling, he gave them an order to vacate. He gave them three days to vacate or be cursed. What did they post like little tiny notices, like three inches above the ground? Like, how did no, they notify they had the slugs? Daily processions where they went out and told the slugs that they had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it is day one. I want that to be my you have job. until Thursday to vacate the premises, pack your belongings slug yeller gather your children 
the church crier at this <laughs> next day. You're still here. You have until tomorrow. Strike two. You have until tomorrow. You've been warned. You be damned. <laughs> I can't. I can't. At the end of three days, when the slugs had not listened, because fuck society is what they said, apparently, mm-hmm. they were exterminated. But I mean, they were warned. They had a chance. I feel like that's an extreme reaction to someone not listening to you. What but... were their methods for exterminating all of the slugs? Salt, I assume. Salt, I don't know. I did not read the details of the execution. Yeah, stop being so morbid. I'm just wondering, like, how did they know they even got all of the slugs? Like, did they, like, comb through the grass? I mean, this sounds like a very thorough and well-executed plan, so... Executed. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) In the 16th century, again, in Autun, France. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. This is, this is a great one. So, the city was infested with rats. I mean, as all cities were back then, I imagine. But the rats were eating and destroying the town's barley. And the people were all upset about this. And so, they decided to try the rats for their crimes. Yeah, barley is in beer. It's Come important. On, it's a vital crop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To call the rats to court on their assigned court date proclamations were made at the crossroads in all the towns. I've heard yeah, I was this say, one. I feel like this is one that I've heard of. Yeah, pretty much the town crier thing where they just like stood at the crossroads and were like telling all the rats, you are to show up on your court date. You have been served. Exactly. Shockingly, the rats did not show up on their assigned court date. I mean, it's hard to get people to show up <laughs> on their assigned court date. <laughs> Public defender Bartholomew Chesane argued that the public proclamations were not really a valid form of summoning someone to court, and that each rat should actually be receiving an individual summons. <laughs> <laughs> That's so perfect. So they got, he wanted them to like go door to door, rat hole to rat hole. Yep. With their little tiny yep. notices. Sewer to sewer. Sewer to sewer. <laughs> Uh, and give them all their own little summons. Those are very small summons if you're making it for rat proportion audience. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. would it be proportioned? I don't know. It'd be hard to read it if it was like, you know, three times as big as the rat. Like, imagine trying to read a piece of paper so much bigger than you. And I assume they think yeah. these rats speak French. They must. I mean, also are literate. <laughs> also. <laughs> So many, so many ifs there. Yeah, we have a lot of variables in the this. The judges agreed with Chesonet that proclamations at the town crossroads was not a valid way to summon someone to court, but they didn't do the individual summons like they wanted to. Boo. Instead, they posted a written summons at the church because obviously everyone goes to church, including the rats. So they must. <laughs> I was going to say, central what if location. you know. What if they have a different church? What, you know, the entire town can't go to the same church. Uh, they probably did. But you'd think... This is outrageous. You'd think that they would notice if all of the town rats were present on Sunday's mass. <laughs> Hopefully the rats go to church. Hopefully they put it at eye level. Hopefully the rats can read. But again, maybe not because they did not show up on their second court date. Clear delinquency. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Chassonet argued that the rats should be excused because they couldn't possibly make it to court. Quote, on the ground of the length and difficulty of the journey and the serious perils which attended it, owing to the unwearied vigilance of their mortal enemies, the cats, who watched all their movements and with fell intent lay in wait for them at every corner and passage. Basically saying that they couldn't possibly come to court to defend themselves because the journey to court is too perilous and they shouldn't have to risk their lives to show up for their court date. I mean, so now do we have to try the cats? No, because the cats haven't done anything for interfering with due process. (laughs) It's true. Witness tampering. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're not mafia bosses. Like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I feel like if any animal is a mafia boss, it's a cat. Yeah. Mac is the mafia boss. Oh, for sure. He looks like a mafia boss. We already determined he's Machiavelli. There is no record of the official ruling in this case, but historians believe that likely the rats were acquitted. <laughs> we're just going to so all of that, and then they don't bother to record the outcome. Yeah. I don't know. So we're just going to assume lost. that they got tired of trying to summon the rats. The outcome is lost to history somewhere. I did read one source that claimed that this particular story was a made-up story that was designed to embarrass the lawyer involved, who I guess was a real person. But all the other sources I read presented it like it was a true story, so put that little caveat on this one. Moving on, 1597 in France. Weevils were brought to trial for eating the town's crops. Sure. Their lawyer, Antoine Filial, argued that God placed weevils on this earth, and he would not have done so without providing food for them to survive on. (laughs) It just is unfortunate that that food supply happens to be the same food supply of the people. Yeah, sorry. Sorry about your taste. The prosecutor argued that the weevils were put on this earth to be subordinate and subservient to man, and they were not staying in their lane. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) This is white people problems again. In what way is a weevil serving a man? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like... Weevils, subservient weevils sounds like you have like little weevil servants. Sounds like a band name. <laughs> the subservient weevil. I'm imagining like Cinderella where the mice were making dresses. Like, are these weevils just like doing household <laughs> chores for you? I 100% wear a weevil dress. I don't know what a weevil looks like. Maybe they'll make me a leafy dress for my wedding. You have a leafy dress for your wedding. I know, but I want a weeble one. So ultimately, a compromise was proposed. They proposed that the weevils should be given a tract of land outside of town so they could chow down freely. Sure. <laughs> but the town folk would maintain the right to pass through that land to, and to access the springs on it. So it was like a shared situation. So they were split it. They had shared custody with the weevils. Right, so like it's the weevil's okay. land, they get to eat it and live on it, but the people are allowed to like go through. It's like an easement. Like just walk <laughs> through it or like to access the springs, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. It's an easement. Sure. The weevil lawyer rejected this plan though because he felt that the land that they were proposing was too barren and not suitable to sustain the weevils. So now these weevils are like saying that it's not adequate like beggars can't be choosers weebles no that's what the lawyer is saying is like this is not ex- well he's saying like you're not giving them a fair deal you're giving them a shit piece of land when right now they're eating their heart's content of barley or whatever the fuck it was 
So he wanted to, he was trying to get them a better deal. I'm just imagining ever needing to hire a lawyer and be like, who do you recommend? Like, well, what about this guy? Well, what, <laughs> what are his the credentials? The weevils. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. In that case. <laughs> the prosecutor argued that there were plenty of trees and shrubs on that land for the weevils to eat. The judge took his time and it went back and forth. And a sentence was not passed for eight months. That's a whole crop season. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we will never know what that verdict was because the last page of the court records were eaten by rats or bugs. (laughs) Stop it. I don't like it when you fuck with me, Steph. They're just looking out for each other. Irony of irony. Damn. Yeah. Now we're actually going to skip forward a little bit in time to a time that is recent enough that this should not have been happening anymore. Oh, my God. 1916, Tennessee. An elephant named Mary murdered her trainer and was hanged by a crane. I heard about this one. Yeah. It's so sad. I don't want to hear about this. So her handler the one that was killed, was an unqualified homeless man. Yeah, he was a dick. Who landed the job the day before, had no experience handling elephants, and he was, like, riding her in a parade, and he prodded her with a spear, which caused her to freak out and knock him off her back and then step on him. Well, it sounds like he deserved it. Yeah, he was a dick. Yeah, the autopsy of the elephant showed that she had a severely infected tooth right where he had poked her with the spear. And like, toothaches hurt, man. Don't poke somebody in the face who's got a toothache. I find this elephant innocent. Yeah, this was totally unfair. But yeah, she got hanged by a crane because she killed her asshole owner. Yeah. Well, he is dead. So, I mean. Yeah. And lastly, in 2008 in Macedonia. A bear was charged with theft when he took honey from a beekeeper. (laughs) Is he okay? Yeah, so the park services had to pay. One source said $2,300. One said $3,500. Either way, it was a few thousand dollars in damages that the park had to pay because the bear himself didn't show up to his court date and he has a wild animal he had no owner to pay on his behalf. So the park picked up his tab. (laughs) (laughs) in conclusion Tracy (laughs) you can tell Mac that I'm going to move forward with legal charges for the destruction of property you have been pain and suffering you have been made whole not for the pain and suffering that he has caused by eating my chargers it's Steph you already settled out of court yeah not for the pain and suffering He no, will hear no, from my that's double jeopardy. jeopardy. That's double jeopardy. It's already been it's already been adjudicated. Um, this was not done legally. This was this was under the books. There was no legal charges pressed. Yes. Settled out of so court. No, no lawyers were involved. It was not official. Mac will hear from my lawyer. It will be me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you better find some good defense attorney. <laughs> Though if Mac is a mob boss, then maybe I don't want to mess with that. Oh, yeah, I was thinking, like, you might get a hit out on, like, Cheddar. Like, that's oh, not good. Oh. This, see? You don't mess with someone's cat, Steph. He messed with me first. 
So if you want to hear the exciting conclusion of Mac versus Steph in, <laughs> in court, you can listen to Harpy Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen, please rate us and leave a stunning review so that everyone else listens to and us. And then send us a picture of that review so we'll give you a sticker. And if you have stories you think we might like or you just want to say hello because you think we're awesome, you can send us an email at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at harpyhourpod. Like us, share us, send us your love. Por favor. Mahalo. We are also on Patreon. So head on over to Patreon. All that extra money you find lying around you just don't know what to do with we can put it to good use. So give us money. We'll give you extra content. That's the deal. Do it. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. bye.